Low prices. Market fresh at Smith's. KSL FM Midvale. KSL Salt Lake City. From the Conference Center at Temple Square in Salt Lake City, this is the Sunday morning session of the 185th Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with speakers selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music for this session is provided by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. This broadcast is furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. President Henry B. Eyring, First Counselor in the First Presidency of the Church, will conduct this session. Brothers and sisters, on this beautiful Easter morning, we welcome you to the Sunday morning session of the 185th Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We are grateful for the opportunity to gather together to commemorate the Atonement and Resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. President Thomas S. Monson, who presides at the conference, has asked that I conduct this session. We extend our greetings and blessings to those of you who are participating in these proceedings throughout the world by radio television, the Internet, or satellite transmission. We acknowledge the general authorities and the general officers who are in attendance this morning. The music for this session will be provided by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir under the direction of Mac Wilberg with Clay Christiansen and Richard Elliott at the organ. The choir opened this meeting with Rejoice! The Lord is King, and will now favor us with He is Risen. The invocation will then be offered by Sister Linda S. Reeves, Second Counselor in the Relief Society General Presidency, after which the choir will sing, Consider the Lilies.
Our dear Father in Heaven, how we love Thee, dear Father. How grateful we are to be gathered together on this glorious Easter morn when we remember our beloved Savior. Please bless us, Father, that we might be able to understand and recognize all that He has done for us so individually. We're grateful to be led by a prophet, by prophet, even Thomas S. Monson, and by our other consecrated leaders. We ask Thee to bless them. Please bless, Father, all that will participate on this day, and bless each of us, Father, that we might feel in our hearts those things that we need to know and to feel that will keep us firmly bonded to Thee and to Thy Son. How grateful we are for the blessings of covenants and for temples. Again, dear Father, we express our gratitude to Thee and to Thy Son, our Savior, and say this in His name, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thank you for the beautiful music. It will now be our privilege to hear from our prophet, President Thomas S. Monson. He will be followed by Sister Rosemary M. Wixom, Primary General President, Elder Jose A. Teixeira of the Seventy, will then address us. President Mawson. My beloved brothers and sisters, how grateful I am to be with you this beautiful Easter morning when our thoughts turn to the Savior of the world. I send my love and greetings to each of you and pray that our Heavenly Father will inspire my words. This conference marks seven years since I was sustained as president of the Church. They've been busy years, filled not only with a few challenges, but also with countless blessings. Among the most enjoyable and sacred of these blessings has been my opportunity to dedicate and rededicate temples. Most recently, this past November, my privilege to dedicate the beautiful new Phoenix, Arizona Temple. I was joined by President Dieter F. Utdorf, Elder Dallin H. Oaks, Elder Richard J. Maines, Elder Lynn G. Robbins, Elder Ken F. Richards. On the evening prior to the dedication, a marvelous cultural celebration was held. Over 4,000 of our young youth from the Temple District performed beautifully. The following day, the Temple was dedicated to three sacred and inspiring sessions. The building of temples is a very clear indication of the growth of the Church. We currently have 144 temples in operation worldwide, with five being renovated and 13 under, more under construction. In addition, 13 temples, which were previously announced, are in various stages of preparation before construction begins. This year, we anticipate rededicating two temples and dedicating five new temples, which are scheduled for completion. For the past two years, as we have concentrated on our efforts in completing previously announced temples, we have held in abeyance plans for any additional temples. This morning, however, I am very pleased to announce three new temples will be built in the following locations, Abidjan, Ivory Coast, Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and Bangkok, Thailand. What marvelous blessings are in store for our faithful members in these areas and, indeed, wherever temples are located throughout the world. The process of determining needs and finding locations for additional temples is ongoing. For we desire that as many members as possible have an opportunity to attend the temple without great sacrifices of time and resources. As we have done in the past, we will keep you informed as decisions are made in this regard. As I think of temples, my thoughts turn to the many blessings we receive therein. As we enter through the doors of the temple, we leave behind us the distractions and confusion of the world. 
Inside this sacred sanctuary, we find beauty and order. There's rest for our souls and respite from the cares of our lives. As we attend the temple, there can come to us a dimension of spirituality and a feeling of peace, which will transcend any other feeling which could come into the human heart. We will grasp the true meaning of the words of the Savior when he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Such peace can permeate any heart. Hearts that are troubled. Hearts that are burdened down with grief. Hearts that feel confusion. Hearts that plead for help. I recently learned firsthand of a young man who attended the temple with a heart pleading for help. Many months earlier, he had received his call to serve in a mission in South America. However, his visa was delayed for such a lengthy period that he was reassigned to a mission in the United States. Although disappointed he could not serve in the area of his original call, he nonetheless worked hard at his new assignment, determined to serve to the best of his ability. He became discouraged, however, because of negative experiences he had with missionaries, who seemed to him to be more interested in having a good time than in sharing the gospel. A few short months later, this young man suffered a very serious health challenge, which left him partially paralyzed, and so he was sent home on a medical leave. Some months later, the young man had healed him completely and his paralysis had disappeared. He was informed that he would once again be able to serve as a missionary, a blessing for which he had prayed daily. The only disappointing news was that he returned to the same mission which he had left, where he felt the behaviors and attitudes of some missionaries were less than they should be. He came to the temple to seek comfort and a confirmation that he could have a good experience as a missionary. His parents also had prayed that this temple visit would provide the help their son needed. As the young man entered the celestial room following the session, he sat in a chair and began to pray for guidance from his Heavenly Father. Another who entered the celestial room shortly afterwards was a young man whose name was Landon. He walked into the room. His gaze was immediately drawn to the young man sitting on the chair, eyes closed, and obviously praying. Landon received an unmistakable prompting that he should speak with the young man. Hesitant to interrupt, however, he decided to wait. After several minutes had gone by, the young man was still praying. Landon knew he could no longer postpone the prompting. He approached the young man and gently touched his shoulder. The young man opened his eyes, startled that he had been disturbed. Landon said quietly, and I quote, I felt impressed. I need to talk with you, although I'm not certain why. As they began to converse, the young man poured out his heart to Landon, explaining his circumstances and ending with his desire received some comfort and encouragement concerning his mission. 
Lyndon, who had returned from a successful mission just a year earlier, told of his own mission, experiences, the challenges and concerns he'd face, the manner in which he turned to the Lord for help, and the blessings he had received. His words were comforting and reassuring. His enthusiasm for his mission was contagious. Eventually, as his fears subsided, a feeling of peace came to the young man. He felt deep gratitude as he realized his prayer had been answered. The two young men prayed together. Then Landon prepared to leave, happy that he had listened to the inspiration which had come to him. As he stood to go, the young man asked Landon, Where did you serve your mission? To this point, neither of them had mentioned to the other the name of the mission in which he had served. When Landon replied with the name of his mission, tears welled up in the eyes of the young man. Landon had served in the very mission to which the young man would be returning. In a recent letter to me, Landon shared with me the young man's parting words to him, and I quote them. I had faith Heavenly Father would bless me, but I never could have imagined he'd send someone to help me who had served in my own mission. I know now that all would be well. Close quote. The humble prayer of a sincere heart had been heard and answered. My brothers and sisters, in our lives we'll have temptations. We will have trials and challenges. As we go to the temples, as we remember the covenants we make there, we will be better able to overcome those temptations and to bear our trials. In the temple, we can find peace. The blessings of the temple are priceless. One for which I am grateful every day of my life is that which beloved my beloved wife Frances and I received as we knelt at a sacred altar and made covenants binding us together for all eternity. There is no blessing more precious to me than the peace and comfort I receive from the knowledge I have that she and I we together again. May our Heavenly Father bless us, that we may have the spirit of temple worship, that we may be obedient to His commandments, that we may follow carefully the steps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I testify that He's our Redeemer. He's the Son of God. He is who came forth from the grave that first Easter morning bringing with him the gift of everlasting life for all of God's children. On this beautiful day, as we celebrate that momentous event, may we offer prayers of gratitude for his great and marvelous gift to us, that this may be so, I pray humbly in his holy name. Amen. On this Easter morning, President Monson, we are so grateful to hear the voice of our living prophet. We value your words, including your counsel, find joy in the journey, 
and the future is as bright as your faith. This year, primary children are sharing the joy and the brightness of their faith in Jesus Christ when they sing the song, I know that my Savior loves me. They sing the truth, I know He lives. My heart I give to Him. Like primary children, every one of us can strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ on our individual journey and find joy. In a recent Relief Society, I listened to a young mother share part of her journey of conversion. She had grown up in the Church with parents who taught her the gospel. She attended primary, young women, and seminary. She loved to learn and discover truths. Her constant quest was to know why. Elder Russell M. Nelson has said, The Lord can only teach an inquiring mind, and this young woman was teachable. After high school, she attended a university, was sealed in the temple to a return missionary, and was blessed with beautiful children. With a spirit of inquiry, this mother continued to ask questions. But as the questions grew harder, so did the answers. And sometimes there were no answers, or no answers that brought peace. Eventually, as she sought to find answers, more and more questions arose, and she began to question some of the very foundations of her faith. During this confusing time, some of those around her said, Just lean on my faith. But she thought, I can't. You don't understand. You're not grappling with these issues. She explained, I was willing to extend courtesy to those without doubts if they would extend courtesy to me. And many did. She said, My parents knew my heart and allowed me space. They chose to love me while I was trying to figure it out for myself. Likewise, this young mother's bishop often met with her and spoke of his confidence in her. Ward members also did not hesitate to give love, and she felt included. Her ward was not a place to put on a perfect face. It was a place of nurture. It was interesting, she remembers. During this time, I felt a real connection to my grandparents who had died. They were pulling for me and urging me to keep trying. I felt they were saying, Focus on what you know. In spite of her substantial support system, she became less active. She said, I did not separate myself from the Church because of bad behavior, spiritual apathy, looking for an excuse not to live the commandments, or searching for an easy out. I felt I needed the answer to the question, What do I really believe? About this time, she read a book, The Writings of Mother Teresa, who had shared similar feelings. In a 1953 letter, Mother Teresa wrote, Please pray specially for me that I may not spoil his work and that our Lord may show himself, for there is such terrible darkness within me as if everything was dead. It has been like this more or less from the time I started the work. Ask our Lord to give me courage. Archbishop Perrier responded, God guides you, dear Mother. You are not so much in the dark as you think. The path to be followed may not always be clear at once. Pray for light. Do not decide too quickly. Listen to what others have to say. Consider their reasons. 
you will always find something to help you. Guided by faith, by prayer, and by reason, you have a right intention. You have enough. My friend thought, if Mother Teresa could live her religion without all the answers and without a feeling of clarity in all things, maybe she could too. She could take one simple step forward in faith and then another. She could focus on the truths she did believe and let those truths fill her mind and heart. As she reflected back, she said, My testimony had become like a pile of ashes. It had all burned down. All that remained was Jesus Christ. She continued, But He does not leave you when you have questions. When anyone tries to keep the commandments, the door is wide open. Prayer and scripture study become incredibly important. Her first step to rebuild her faith was to start with basic gospel truths. She bought a primary songbook and began reading the words of the songs. They were treasures to her. She prayed for faith to lift the heaviness she felt. She learned that when she came up against a statement that caused her to doubt, she could stop, look at the whole picture, and make the gospel personal. She said, I would ask, is this the right path for me and my family? Sometimes I'd ask myself, what do I want for my children? I realized I want them to have temple marriages. That's when belief came back to my heart. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland has said, Humility, faith, and the influence of the Holy Spirit will always be elements of every quest for truth. Though she had questions about how the Book of Mormon came to be, she could not deny the truth she knew in the Book of Mormon. She had focused on studying the New Testament to better understand the Savior, but eventually she said, I found myself back in the Book of Mormon because I loved what I felt when reading about Jesus Christ and His Atonement. She concluded, You have to have your own spiritual experiences with the truths in that book, and she was having them. She explained, I read in Mosiah and felt completely directed. Believe in God. Believe that He is and that He created all things. Believe that He has all wisdom and all power, both in heaven and in earth. Believe that man doth not comprehend all the things which the Lord can comprehend. About this time, a call came to serve as primary pianist. It was safe. She said, I wanted to have my children in primary, and now I could be with them. And I wasn't ready to teach yet. As she served, she continued to feel from those around her, Come, we want you whatever stage you are at, and we'll meet you there. Give us whatever you have to offer. Playing the primary song, she often thought to herself, Here are truths I love. I can still bear testimony. I will just say those things that I know and trust. It may not be a perfect offering of knowledge, but it will be my offering. What I focus on expands inside of me. It is beautiful to get back to the essence of the gospel and feel clarity. On that Sunday morning, as I listened to this young sister share the story of her journey, I was reminded that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer that we all must build our foundation. 
I was also reminded of the counsel of Elder Jeffrey R. Holland. Hold fast to what you already know and stand strong until additional knowledge comes. During her lesson, I came to know more fervently that answers to our sincere questions come when we earnestly seek and when we live the commandments. I was reminded that our faith can reach beyond the limits of current reason. And oh, how I want to be like those who surrounded this young mother, loving and supporting her. As President Dieter F. Uchtdorf said, we are all pilgrims seeking God's light as we journey on the path of discipleship. We do not condemn others for the amount of light they may or may not have. Rather, we nourish and encourage all light until it grows clear, bright, and true. When the primary children sing a child's prayer, they ask, Heavenly Father, are you really there? And do you hear and answer every child's prayer? We too may wonder, is Heavenly Father really there? Only to rejoice, as my friend did, when the answers come in quiet, simple assurances. I testify those simple assurances come as His will becomes ours. I testify that truth is on the earth today, and His gospel is found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. My dear brothers and sisters, it is a great joy that I stand here before you as we participate in this general conference together. Listening to the words of wisdom, counsel, comfort, and warning given in general conferences over many years has been an immeasurable blessing to Sister Teixeira, to our family, and to myself. In this special season of the year, especially on this Easter Sabbath, I cannot help but reflect on the significance of the Savior's teachings and His kind and loving example in my life. A deeper understanding of Jesus Christ will give us greater hope for the future and, despite our imperfections, more confidence in achieving our righteous goals. This will also grant us a greater desire to serve our fellow men. The Lord said, Seek me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. Seeking the Lord and feeling His presence is a daily quest, a worthwhile effort. Brothers and sisters, today, more than any other time, we have at our disposal exceptional opportunities and resources to deepen our understanding of the teachings of Jesus Christ and His Atonement. Using these resources appropriately will help us live a fruitful life filled with joy. In the Savior's metaphor of the vine and the branches, he said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can he except he abide in me. The more we understand the extraordinary role of Christ in our lives, the more conscious we will become 
of our purpose here in mortality, which is to have joy. That joy, however, does not preclude us from experiencing trials and difficulties, even some so great and complex that might lead us to think that happiness is not possible in such circumstances. I know by personal experience that the joy of living in righteousness and abiding in Christ can continue despite the tribulations characteristic of mortality. Ultimately, these tribulations often enrich, refine, and guide us to a deeper understanding of our purpose in our existence here in mortality and of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. Indeed, the fullness of joy can only be achieved through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. I believe that as we deepen our understanding of the Savior, we will have an increased desire to live joyfully and a conviction that joy is possible. Consequently, we will have a greater ability to go about each day with more enthusiasm for life and for keeping the commandments of God, even in challenging circumstances. Let us not leave for tomorrow what we can do today. It is now that we must come to Christ, because if we believe Him, we will labor while it is called today. Every day we should consider including frequent interactions with the teachings of Christ. Small and simple gestures and acts made daily will deepen our understanding of the significance of the Lord in our lives and will help us share this understanding with the rising generations who will surely feel the love of Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, when they see our example of sincerely leaving the gospel. So what are some of the simple behaviors in this modern time that will become a balm for our souls in strengthening our testimony of Christ and His mission? In 2014, the National Geographic Photo Context received 9,200 submissions by professional photographers and enthusiasts from over 150 countries. The winning photo depicts a woman in the center of a train filled with passengers. The light coming from a mobile phone illuminates her face. She relays a clear message to the other passengers. Despite being physically present, she's not truly there. Mobile data, smartphones, and social networks have profoundly changed our way of being in the world and how we communicate with others. In this digital era, we can so rapidly transport ourselves to places and activities that can quickly remove us from what is essential for a life filled with lasting joy. This networked life can, if left unchecked, give precedent to relationships with people that we don't know or have never met, rather than with people we live with, our own family. On the other hand, we all know that we are blessed with the excellent online resources, including those developed by the Church, such as text and audio versions of the Holy Scriptures 
and General Conference, video productions of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, apps to record our family history, and opportunities to listen to inspiring music. The choices and priorities we make with our time online are decisive. They can determine our spiritual progress and maturity in the gospel and our desire to contribute to a better world and to live a more productive life. For these reasons, today I would like to mention three simple habits that will establish healthy online activity. These habits will generate the daily self-reflections that are necessary for us to grow closer to the teachings of our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Habit number one. Visit the Church's official websites for resources. Often visits during the week to these resources will help us to always be sensitive to the teachings of the gospel and encourage our family and friends to think and reflect on what matters most. Habit number two. Subscribe to Church's official social networks. This choice will bring to your screen the content that is essential to deepen your search and seeking of the Lord and His teachings, and it will strengthen your desire to understand the gospel. More importantly, this will help you remember what Christ expects of us. Just as there is no good soil without a good farmer, farmer, likewise, there will be no good online harvest unless we prioritize from the very beginning, which is accessible to our fingers and to our minds. Habit number three, make time to set aside your mobile devices. It is refreshing to put aside our electronic devices for a while and instead turn the pages of the scriptures or take time to converse with family and friends. Especially in the Lord's Day, experience the peace of participating in a sacrament meeting without the constant urge to see if you have a new message or a new post. The habit of setting aside your mobile device for a time will enrich and broaden your view of life, for life is not confined to a four-inch screen. The Lord Jesus Christ said, As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue he in my love. God wants us to have joy and to feel his love. Christ makes such joy a possibility for each of us. We have the means to know Him better and to live His gospel. I bear my testimony of the joy that exists when we keep the commandments and the peace and safety that we feel when we abide in the love of Heavenly Father and His Son, our Savior. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. On a single signal from the conductor, the choir and congregation will sing, I know that my Redeemer lives. After the singing, we will hear from Bishop Girard Cosset 
of the presiding bishopric. He will be followed by Elder Brent H. Nielsen of the Seventy, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles will then address us. After his remarks, the choir will sing, Jesus has risen. This is the 185th Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The 185th General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on KSL-FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City.
My wife and I had the great joy of rearing our five children near the magnificent city of Paris. During those years, we wanted to offer them rich opportunities to discover the marvelous things of this world. Each summer, our family took long trips to visit the most significant monuments, historic sites, and natural wonders of Europe. Finally, after spending 22 years in the Paris area, we were getting ready to move. I still remember the day when my children came to me and said, Dad, it is absolutely shameful. We have lived here all our lives, and we have never been to the Eiffel Tower. There are so many wonders in this world. However, sometimes when we have them constantly before our eyes, we take them for granted. We look, but we don't really see. We hear, but we don't really listen. During his earthly ministry, Jesus said to his disciples, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. I have often wondered what it would have been like to live at the time of our Savior. Can you imagine sitting at his feet, feeling his embrace, witnessing as he ministered to others? And yet so many who met him failed to recognize, to see, that the very Son of God was living among them. We, too, are privileged to live in an exceptional time. The prophets of old saw the work of the Restoration as a marvelous work, yea, a marvelous work and a wonder. In no previous dispensation have so many missionaries been called, so many nations been opened for the gospel message, and so many temples been built throughout the world. For us, as Latter-day Saints, wonders also occur in our individual lives. They include our own personal conversion, the answers we receive to our prayers, and the tender blessings God showers upon us daily. To marvel at the wonders of the gospel is a sign of faith. It is to recognize the hand of the Lord in our lives and in everything around us. Our amazement also produces spiritual strength. It gives us the energy to remain anchored in our faith and to engage ourselves in the work of salvation. But let us beware. Our ability to marvel is fragile. Over the long term, such things as casual commandment-keeping, apathy, or even weariness may sadden and make us insensitive to the most remarkable signs and miracles of the gospel. The Book of Mormon describes a period very similar to our own that preceded the coming of the Messiah to the Americas. Suddenly, the signs of his birth appeared in the heavens. The people were so stricken with astonishment that they humbled themselves and nearly all were converted. However, only a short four years later, quote, the people began to forget those signs and wonders which they had heard and began to be less and less astonished at a sign or the wonder from heaven and began to disbelieve all which they had heard and seen. Close quote. 
My brothers and sisters, is the gospel still wonderful to you? Can you yet see, hear, feel, and marvel? Or have your special senses gone into standby mode? Whatever your personal situation, I invite you to do three things. First, never tire of discovering or rediscovering the truth of the gospel. The writer Marcel Proust said, The real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Close quote. Do you remember the first time you read a verse of Scripture and felt as if the Lord was speaking to you personally? Can you recall the first time you felt the sweet influence of the Holy Ghost come over you, perhaps before you even realized it was the Holy Ghost? Weren't these sacred, special moments? We should hunger and thirst every day after spiritual knowledge. This personal practice is founded on study, meditation, and prayer. Sometimes we might be tempted to think, I don't need to study the scriptures today. I've read them all before. Or, I don't need to go to church today. There is nothing new there. But the gospel is a fountain of knowledge that never runs dry. There is always something new to learn and feel each Sunday in every meeting and in every verse of Scripture. In faith, we hold to the promise that if we seek, we shall find. Second, anchor your faith in the plain and simple truth of the gospel. Our amazement should be rooted in the core principles of our faith, in the purity of our covenants and ordinances, and in our most simple acts of worship. A sister missionary told the story of three men she met during a district conference in Africa. They came from an isolated village far away in the bush, where the church had not yet been organized, but where there were 15 faithful members and almost 20 investigators. For over two weeks, these men had walked on foot, traveling more than 300 miles over a path rendered muddy by the rainy season, so they could attend the conference and bring the tithe from the members of their group. They planned to stay for an entire week so they could enjoy the privilege of partaking of the sacrament the following Sunday and then hope to set out on the return trip carrying boxes filled with copies of the Book of Mormon on their heads to give to the people of their village. The missionary testified how touched she was by the sense of wonder these brethren displayed and by their wholehearted sacrifices to obtain things that for her had always been readily available. She wondered, if I got up one Sunday morning in Arizona and found that my car wasn't working, would I walk to my church only a few blocks away from home? Or would I just stay home because it was too far or because it was raining? These are good questions for all of us to consider. Finally, I invite you to seek and cherish the companionship of the Holy Ghost. Most wonders of the gospel cannot be perceived by our natural senses. They are the things that the eye has not seen, nor ye heard, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. 
When we have the Spirit with us, our spiritual senses are sharpened and our memory is kindled, so we cannot forget the miracles and signs we have witnessed. That is why, knowing Jesus was about to leave them, his Nephi disciples prayed fervently, quote, for that which they the most desired, and they desired that the Holy Ghost should be given unto them. Although they had seen the Savior with their own eyes and had touched his wounds with their own hands, they knew that their testimonies might dwindle without being constantly renewed by the power of the Spirit of God. My brothers and sisters, never do anything to risk the loss of this precious and marvelous gift, the companionship of the Holy Ghost. Seek it through fervent prayer and righteous living. I testify that the work in which we are engaged is a marvelous work and a wonder. As we follow Jesus Christ, God bears witness to us with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. On this special day, I bear witness that the wonders and marvels of the gospel are anchored in the greatest of all of God's gifts, the Savior's atonement. This is a perfect gift of love that the Father and the Son, united in purpose, have offered to each one of us. With you, I stand all amazed at the love Jesus offers me. Oh, it is wonderful, wonderful to me. That we may always have eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that perceive the wonders of this marvelous gospel is my prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.